during this Advent season, Advent is the period of four Sundays before Christmas, we're taking time to prepare ourselves spiritually for the celebration of the birth of Jesus on Christmas Day. We're looking particularly this Advent season at parts of the Christmas story where God spoke to ordinary people through angels. Angels, as you know, are messengers from God. They have a word to say to individuals or to people in groups. And the Greek word is a trans uh, the Greek word is angelos and it's translated angel. It's where we get angel, messenger, or it can be translated one sent from God. And throughout biblical history, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and the New Testament, God chose to speak to ordinary people through these divinely appointed messengers. In the Old Testament, God spoke to Moses, Abraham, Abraham, and the people of Israel through angels. God gave individual promises, and remember he said to Abraham that he would provide and provided a ram in the thicket from that story, and God became known as Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides through that story. God would speak to Israel to give them a promise of his protection. And we find these occurrences throughout the New Testament, in particular the story of the birth of Jesus. And recall over the past couple of weeks, we studied how the angel Gabriel first spoke to Zechariah, who would become the father of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, the one who announced the coming. John the Baptist was a prophet who announced the coming of Jesus the Messiah. Gabriel the angel also spoke to Mary, the virgin, announcing to her that she would be the mother of the Son of God. And then an unnamed angel spoke to Joseph in a dream that he was to take Mary as his wife, knowing that she was expecting a child to be born of the Holy Spirit, meaning miraculously conceived. Next week, we will see how the angel spoke to the shepherds who were watching their flocks out in the fields by night. Today, we will revisit the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth to see what happens next in the lives of this ordinary couple who were well along in their years. The angel Gabriel visited Zechariah while he was on duty at the temple in Jerusalem and told Zechariah that he and his wife, well along years, way past childbearing years, probably in their 80s, would have a son. Zechariah was to give him the name John. John means Jehovah's gift or God is gracious. Quite different than the typical name of a firstborn son, which would be after his father. But as you remember from the story, Zechariah had a momentary lapse of faith. I've had lots of those. Sign me up. Maybe you can say, I'm with you, Pastor. But he had a momentary lapse of faith and gave reason why it would not be possible for his 
his wife Elizabeth and himself to have a baby. And after this, God, through the angel, said that, Zechariah, you're not going to speak anymore. It'll be quite a while. You're going to be remaining in silence until such time as all of this happens. Well, you can imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth, if there was ever a time to develop hand signals, now was the time. Maybe the two of them worked out some communication system. But after his week of service in the temple was completed, where he was officiating over the altar of incense and then addressing the people and pronouncing benediction, Zechariah returned home. And sure enough, Zechariah and Elizabeth became pregnant. And they became pregnant in the normal way that it would happen. Not in the miraculous way that the Virgin Mary was given a baby in her womb. Let's pick up at chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. No slides here, but just listen as a recap. When his time of service was completed, Zechariah returned home. After his wife became, after this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown favor and he has taken away my disgrace among the people. Back in that day, if a woman could not conceive, they were shunned. They were often looked at as if they had done something to contribute to the problem or committed some kind of a sin, or often the couple was looked at in that way. And we know that is not the way that is to be today, but that was the culture and context of their time. So imagine all of those years praying, going through infertility, which many have, Melanie and I have experienced it as well. We, we know that it was a rough time for them. And we know that they never ceased praying, even up until their older years. But God would purpose to them to have a son who would be the prophet to announce the coming of Jesus the Messiah. And in God's purpose and plan, this is what we see happening in the story. And this is a pivotal part of the birth story of Jesus. So Luke writes to us that Zechariah remained unable to speak and Elizabeth remained in seclusion for five months. Can you imagine how they navigated it? Think of how they communicated. Zechariah perhaps massaging Elizabeth's feet when they would swell up or helping get what she might need if she was not feeling well or having some nausea. Or what about the cravings? I'm sure that she communicated to him those favorite things like my mom did to my dad. My dad tell, told me, he's in heaven now, but my dad told me, your mother, she wanted pickles and ice cream when she was carrying you. Maybe that's why I love pickles so much. And about 9.30 or so at night, I get this urge to meander over to the freezer to get the tub of ice cream out. And sometimes maybe 
well, just a couple of scoops is all. Or a third or a fourth will do, right? And sometimes a little chocolate syrup and some sprinkles to go. Thanks, Mom, right? But the urgings, the cravings, these kind of things that they must have dealt with, it was just the two of them, her in seclusion and him not being able to speak. And it was in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, says the Scripture, that the angel of Gabriel spoke to another woman, but this time a young virgin in her teen years, scholars say probably 14, 15 years old, that she too would have a child. So the birth story of Jesus is linked to the birth story of John the Baptist. Two relatives, both expecting, one likely in her 80s, the other a young one. One an octogenarian, the other just old enough to get her learner's permit. Luke tells us that when Mary visited then, after this news, with Elizabeth, Mary traveled to Elizabeth, that Elizabeth's baby in her womb leaped with joy. She could feel the rumblings. And the scripture says that Mary stayed with Elizabeth for three months and then went back home to her place in Nazareth. So now we look back again into Luke's gospel to see what happens next in this wonderful story that is often skipped over during the Christmas season. And I'll start at verse 57 of chapter 1 of Luke's gospel. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. Today is the Advent Sunday of joy. We lit the candle of joy. The people, whoa, they were so excited. They celebrated and shared Elizabeth's joy. I imagine the jubilation that she and Zechariah experienced and shared with their neighbors after John was born. Verse 59, on the eighth day, which was their custom, they came to circumcise the little baby boy, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up, and she said, no, he is to be called John. Can you imagine the look on their faces? They said to her, there's no one among your relatives who has that name. Elizabeth, that's not how it's supposed to work. The boy should have his father's name. After all, he's the firstborn. And y'all have waited all this time, and you're going to deviate from tradition? You see, God is always doing something new and out of the box, isn't he? So this is what happened in verse 62. The people made signs to his father, who was still there, unable to speak. All this is happening, and Zechariah still can't say a word. They made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. And then he asked, he made signs for a writing tablet. Today it would be an iPad or a tablet of some sort maybe. But he asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote this. His name is John. His name is John. 
Can you imagine him scribbling that on the tablet? Immediately, when his, after this happened, the scripture says his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. God had given him a reason to sing. After all of those months being unable to say anything about what he was experiencing as he walked alongside of his wife in their old years while she is pregnant and he is praising God. And verse 65 said, all the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about these things. You can imagine the buzz in the community. The phones were lighting up. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, saying, what then is this child going to be? The question Pastor Aaron asked in the children's time. What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. It was very clear that God was up to something new. What's this person going to be? And I would ask further, what would he become? Who would he become? These are questions that we think about. Not only what is our name and who are we, but who are we becoming? And when we become a Christian, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord and commit our life to following Jesus, we are saying, not only do I want to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I want to become more and more like Jesus. And what is Jesus like? Who is Jesus like? Jesus is like God the Father. If you want to know what Jesus is like, if you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. Jesus was the Son of the living God in the flesh, walked, talked, experienced the fullness of human suffering, died on the cross and rose from the grave and lives today with God. If you want to know what God is like, just look at Jesus. He was compassionate. He was non-judgmental. He loved everyone. He stood for what was right. He said, what you have done to the least of these, my children, you have done it unto me. He taught what it meant to to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. It is this person, John the Baptist, whom God would call as prophet to tell of the good news of Jesus' coming. In verse 67, his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Prophecy is both forthtelling and foretelling. Forthtelling is when a message needs to be said to a group of people at that moment to get uh, correct or to get right or to do something different. They've stepped out of line often. And you hear those words of foretelling throughout the Old Testament prophets. But it is also foretelling that which is to come. And John the uh, Baptist would be the forerunner to Jesus. And so Zechariah prophesied what was to be the purpose of his son. And verses 68 through 79, part of this passage, 
are known as the Song of Zechariah. In the Latin translation, it's called the Benedictus, named for the first words in the Latin translation. Benedictus Dominus Deus Israel, the Benedictus. And in the Benedictus, we hear several important things that Zechariah sings. He's reason to sing. First, he grounds the story in the heritage of Israel. This is not something entirely new, but it is rooted in that which has already passed. There's a heritage to this story. Praise be to God in verse 68, the God of Israel. Zechariah praises the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all of the fathers and mothers of the faith. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. A horn of salvation means strength as he said through his holy prophets long ago. Again, tying it to the heritage of Israel, his people. Verse 71, salvation from our enemies and from the hand who all of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So Zechariah has connected the story of his newborn son to the heritage of Israel that helps us to see that Jesus is the one to come that the prophets of old had talked and written about. We also see Zechariah testifying prophesying about the nature of God here. If you look back at verse 70, the words, as he said, God has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, pointing to Jesus, as he said. So he's saying God is a God who keeps his promises. And that is rooted in the covenant of Abraham. He also helps us to see that God shows us his mercy. Verse 72, this one will show mercy to our ancestors and remember his holy covenant, rescue us, and enable us to serve without fear. So he remembers his promises, God does, and he shows us his mercies that we know are new every single morning. And verse 75 reminds us that God makes us holy and desires our lives to be holy, that we would be like him. The scripture says in Leviticus 19.2, be holy as I am holy. Peter picks up on this and says this in 1 Peter 1.16. And this holiness is lived out in the way that we serve. There's an ethic to our righteousness meaning we are supposed to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And our neighbor is right here in this room, but our neighbor is also in the communities. Our neighbor is around the world. And many of our neighbors have come to us from very far. 
Jesus said, what you have done to the least of these, my children, you have done unto me. When we serve someone else, we believe that Christ is manifest in that person. And whatever we are doing for that person, it is as if we were doing it to the Lord Jesus himself. It is said that the pagans become like the gods they worship back in the day that we, as we read the Old Testament. And I believe that's true for us. We become like the God we worship. And our God desires that we become more and more like Jesus. And as we said last week, could you imagine if everybody in our community were to love others like Jesus loved? What difference could be made? And then Zechariah does something amazing in the last part of the Benedictus. He spoke words of vision into his baby boy. Our daughter Isabella is a senior in high school, and she's going to graduate next May and go to college somewhere. And ever since she was in Melanie's womb, while Melanie was carrying her, I was praying for the person she would become. God, that you have plans for her. God, that you have promises, plans to promise, promise to prosper her and to help her have a hope and a future. God, you have purposes for her. Help her to be, Lord, the best version of herself that she can be. Help her be a child of God. Help her love you with all her heart, soul, mind, and strength as she's growing. All these years, I've been praying for her. Sometimes at night while she's asleep, I'll go to the threshold of her door and I'll just pray, whisper a prayer over her. In my quiet time in the morning, I always pray for her that God would help her through the day and that God would help her to discover the purposes that he has for her life. Zechariah spoke words of vision to his baby boy. Listen to what he says. As you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. Imagine that he could be holding the baby who was named John. And you, my child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him. You are going to be the one to announce the coming of Jesus the Messiah. You are the one to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. You are becoming part of something new. Because of the tender mercy of our God, he says, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the the path of peace. Zechariah, I imagine, is holding baby John speaking these words of prophecy into his spirit. Wow. He had a great vision for his son, didn't he? He would be the one like Elijah to announce the coming of the Messiah. And church, I believe that the church today needs more Zechariahs and Elizabeths. People who will speak life into the young people of our generation. 
people who will speak worth and value and purpose into them, not to look at them at the younger generation as some people who are strange and doing TikToks and we just can't figure out why they do what they do, but rather we would figure out how to get down to their level and minister to them and speak words of love and worth and value into them. And they would not look at the church as something skeptical that they don't want to be a part of, but they would look at the church as the people who really love and care about me and want the best for me. And sometimes we think, well, you know, we can't do all of these things. We don't have the resources. Other churches can do that. But you know something? Other people's grandchildren live in our community. There are grandparents in other states in other places, in other countries whose grandchildren live here. And they are praying for a church who would speak value and life and worth and purpose into their children, into their grandchildren. So it is vitally important for us to follow this passage and this way of Zechariah to speak life into the next generation. We need the octogenarians, how do you say that? Octogenarians, you know, the 80-somethings and the 90-somethings. I won't call on you, but there are some 90-somethings in the room. And all, we need you to be part of making a difference in the next generation and the generation after that. We want the legacy of Huguenot Road Baptist Church to continue to prosper as we seek the vision that God has for the future of our congregation. And in 20, 30, 40, 50 years, we can only imagine what it would be like, just in the same way that our mothers and fathers here in the early days of our church, in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, prayed for the generations who would lead the church today, and we're following in those footsteps. The church needs you. There's no retirement in the kingdom of God, as it is said. And the church needs young people to be willing to take up the mantle of leadership so that people will know that Jesus is Lord, so that people will know the church is good, that the church is a place where they can be cared about and safe and loved. Luke provides a brief statement about John after all of this. It serves as a summary of transition into his public life where he would baptize Jesus and help usher in the new ministry as Jesus began his public ministry. John does not appear again until that time. We understand that he dwelt in the desert after his parents passed away. Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he publicly appeared to Israel. And as we draw to a close, I'd like to say these few things. I believe that Zechariah spoke life into his son. He believed that God could take little lives and accomplish great things. I always am glad to hear our little voices in the church because God will take our little people and use them to accomplish great things. The same man who had a momentary lapse of faith now believes that God's future has become his mission. In his life's work to help his son know 
come to know the vision and purposes of God, Zechariah had a reason to sing. And I want to, us to listen briefly, very briefly, to an excerpt from a sermon on Zechariah's Benedictus by Pope John Paul II from October 1st, 2003. Zechariah can celebrate the God who saves him, and he does so with this hymn, the Benedictus. The text is solemn, and the original Greek is only two sentences. It culminates in one of the last lines. The day shall dawn upon us from on high, verse 78. This phrase, which at first seems paradoxical with its association of dawn and on high, is actually packed with meaning. Indeed, in the original Greek, the rising sun is anatole, a word which itself means both the light our sun shines on the earth and when a new shoot sprouts from the ground. Both of these images from the same word have messianic value in the biblical tradition. On one hand, says John Paul, Isaiah reminds us, speaking of Emmanuel, God with us, that the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. But on the other hand, referring to once again King Emmanuel, he describes him as the shoot from the stump of Jesse. That is, from the house of David, a shoot upon which the Lord's favor was to rest. With Christ, therefore, appears the light that enlightens every creature and makes life flourish. As John the Evangelist was to say, combining the two realities, in him was life, and the life was the light of all humankind. Verse 4 of our memory verse for this month. Humanity that was engulfed in darkness and in the shadow of death is illumined by this dazzling revelation. As the prophet Malachi has announced, for you who fear my name, there will arise the sun, S-U-N, of justice with its healing rays. This sun guides our feet to the way of peace. This S-O-N guides our feet into the way of peace. Of peace. So let us move on, church, taking that light as our reference point, and may our faltering steps, which during the day often stray to dark and slippery paths, be sustained by the light of the truth of Jesus Christ, which he spreads in the world and throughout our history.